After 15 years of marriage, I was suddenly single. I wasn't ready for the game. I didn't want to mix and mingle. I was angry. I was sad. I was also very blue. A good friend warned, Eric, come on, man, please take care of you. There are women in these streets and they are coming for you. I said, say what? There are women in these streets and they are coming for you. They see your kindness. They see your love, especially for your daughter. They want that for themselves and you're an easy target. You're broken and you're bent and you're in need of tender love and care. But I warn you, King, protect your heart, be on guard and beware. These women want companionship, but they don't want your heart. A woman want me after what I've been through? Girl, you must be crazy. She said, beware, my friend, my words are true. Your heart is your true power, but until you learn to stay down, I promise you, if you jump into something new, you'll be on the rebound. Welcome to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. After getting his master's degree in getting cursed out, his second master's in getting kicked out, Eric Payne decided to pursue his doctorate in getting his life right and staying in his own lane. But upon getting all his degrees, he realized he was a fish out of water in this new dating landscape. Eric was 28 years old when he met his ex-wife and was newly divorced at 43. The world had changed considerably since the days of StarTac beepers, Motorola flip phones, and Yahoo Chat. It is vicious out here in these new streets where taking pictures of yourself all day long with a phone and posting them on the internet is actually a thing. The Dating After Divorce Survival Guide is the story of Eric's journey from love and marriage to divorce to dating to hopefully love and marriage once more. Hey, what's going on, good people? My name is Eric Payne and I am your host of the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide, helping you navigate these treacherous waters. So check it out. If we pick it up where I left it off, divorce didn't do well by me. I wasn't one of those people that was celebrating on the courthouse stairs. I was broken. I was beaten. I was burdened. I was barely showing up at work. I was hardly participating. I was taking super long lunch breaks. I was reading the Bible. I was asking God to fix something that I that was broken by me and my ex-wife. I was eating, barely, but I ate nothing but junk food and restaurant takeout. So I was skinny, but I had a gut. I didn't have any food to cook at home. I didn't have any utensils. I was too emotionally distraught to, to cook. Uh, wasn't working out, wasn't doing any of the things that I do now. I was on autopilot. Some people asked how everything was going. Some people didn't know. Hey, how's your wife? Hey, how's the kids? Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I hadn't had my daughter over to my place yet because I was ashamed of the way it looked because it was so small. I went from a four bedroom townhome to a one bedroom apartment with no furniture in it. I mean, I had a little bit of furniture, but it was nothing to speak of. It was like college furniture. I had a futon up in there. It was embarrassing. Well, I had an air mattress. I went from the floor to an air mattress to a futon. And before I started to have my daughter spend time with me, I was at the air mattress phase. It was embarrassing. In the end, it wasn't embarrassing. What it was is that my ego was just definitely broken, bruised, and so on. But a quick note on that, dad, to the world. Kids don't care about your living arrangements. They care about you. They want to see you. They want to spend time with you. They don't care about the setup. And the younger the kid, the more eager they are to see, to see you. So don't get caught up on that and miss out on precious moments with your child. In August of that year, I walked off the job. I didn't quit, but I said, hey, 
I said to my boss, I wasn't doing anything. So I said to my boss, I said, hey, look, I got to shore, shore up my life. My dad is not doing well back home. My son is in distress in New Orleans because my son had been uh, asked to not go back to school, but he didn't leave where he went to school. He didn't leave the town. So my boss gave me the time, or so I thought he was giving me the time, and I left. I flew to Chicago. I spent time with my folks. I went to a Reiki healing session and I was so light on my feet and feeling so fresh and so clean after the session was over that I went next door to a tattoo parlor and got a tattoo across my left shoulder blade. It's not exactly small. And when I came home, I showed my I didn't show my mother, but I told my mother. And my mother was like, are you sure everything is OK? No, of course, everything is OK. I'm freaking in tra traumatized right now i'm going through some things i'm just kind of floating around bouncing back and forth to from here to there so when it was time to leave chicago i decided uh i had convinced my folks to let me take the car that my father wasn't driving down to new orleans to give it to my son so that he could get around a little bit easier back and forth to work so i drove cross i drove not cross country but i drove south from chicago to new orleans stopped off in memphis had a great time actually learned that the blues was a real thing i mean i knew it was a real thing but i i went to a, a an open a blues open mic night and couldn't believe how miserable everyone was in this bar that i was at they, their mama died their woman left the dog barked at them and bit them and wouldn't eat their food no more I mean, these were just random regular people sitting next to me and everything was wrong. I really don't think anything was wrong at all. I think they were just singing the blues. It was a really great time. Kept on going down to New Orleans and spent time with my son, gave him the car and then flew back to Atlanta. And when I came back to Atlanta, I had a little bit of swag. I had some anger. I had an edge and I drove without anyone knowing, without any of the people that I had put in my life to kind of put keep me in check. I drove in secret to a car dealership with my Mazda 3 and traded very, 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 very high up for a sparkling white fat booty racing tire dressed luxury automobile. I mean, look, it was the red Corvette, the Firebird, Trans Am, T-Top. The only thing I didn't have was the blonde. I was so angry and so divorced and so ridiculous with mine. I was posting about this car all over social media talking about, yeah, no more slow motion for me, baby. No more holding back. Living life on the fast lane. It was ridiculous. I was driving around town. I was like, wait till they get a load of me. At the dealership, they tinted my windows for me. What did they get a load of? You couldn't see me in the car. I was, you know, driving up and down the streets, you know, by some of the clubs here in Atlanta, uh, some of the lounges and clubs here in Atlanta. And, yeah, people looked at the car and they might have, like, you know, heard the engine or whatever. But you couldn't see me. And then, be, like most people who get brand new cars, especially down here in Atlanta, you drive like you ain't got no sense. So I had it was a turbocharged. So I'm going 80, 90 miles an hour every chance I could get. So. Who's going to stop and talk to me if I'm going 80 miles an hour? I'm, they try not to get run over. It was ridiculous. But again, broken people do broken things. All while this was going on, I had a friend. Now, this friend had been someone who had been there all along. Uh, I knew them in Chicago. We kind of grew up together, crossed paths growing up together. And I also knew them in New York. And we crossed paths a couple times in New York. She was down here in Atlanta as well. 
like I said, she got to know the family. She became a friend to my ex. She was kind of just there. We would go to breakfast sometimes. Uh, we ran a couple 5Ks together. It's harmless. I mean, I flirted sometimes when I was on the outs with the missus. She ignored me, didn't pay any attention to it. It was harmless flirting because, honestly, I wasn't that type of dude that because I wasn't getting what I wanted at home that I was going to go find it elsewhere. I just, I didn't have, it's not that I didn't think it. I just didn't have the courage to go through with it. And I, I, I didn't want to, I, I was convinced that I believe, I'm a very strong believer in karma. And I believed that if I did that, then I would be bringing some sort of like bad juju on myself, bad juju on my house. But once I was single, this person started to, I wouldn't say make advances because I don't think they were exactly advances. I just think that without the encumbrance of me having to go home to a wife and a family, it was easier to hang out and hang out longer and spend more time together. So we would go to restaurants and we would sit out for long periods of time just sitting and watching the watching the day go by, the day go in the evening, say it's a Saturday afternoon and you could sit in the beer garden and do that actually. It was cool. She was a comfort. She was nice. Uh, she seemed like she was understanding and she was understanding. However, she was single and had always been single. She was never married, doesn't have children, that kind of thing. And that's not really a qualifier of anything. But she began to shift me from friend to boyfriend. And over time, that became more and more apparent. I was vulnerable because I had just gotten divorced. I was vulnerable because I, quote unquote, lost lost at love, lost at romance, lost at family. She was vulnerable because she didn't have what I had lost, thought, and these are her words, that it was almost wrong for me to have lost it and thought that the person who pushed me away was silly. And now here's her chance to have what has been so elusive for so many years. After I got my new car, after bringing every speed limit I could find, I remember calling her and asking her if she wanted to go for a ride. I picked her up. It was late. And we drove, sunroof wide open, windows down. And I remember her saying, this ride is so smooth. And she said it like, this ride is so smooth. And she looked over at me while she said it. You know, the car still stunk of fresh leather and all the rest of that stuff. But here's the thing, right? I was still broken. Straight up, point blank, period. I was broken. Regardless of how free I was, regardless of whatever, I was broken. And she was alone. I was broken. And everybody knew it. I talked about it to anyone who would listen. She was one of those people. And eventually she got sick of it. She said, look, you know, I want to talk to me about me. Ask me some questions about me. And that was fair. But it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair in the idea that I don't think that she understood the space that I was in. What it should have been was what it could have been. What the conversation could have been was, hey, Eric, I'm not really built to be a therapist. You may need to find a therapist. 
because I wasn't I wasn't equipped to care about anybody but myself at that point because of where my head was at, because of what I thought was happening to me, because of what I couldn't see down the road. But I got swept up. I got swept up in her consistency. She consistently checked in on me. She consistently asked me if I wanted to go out and get food with her. She consistently invited me to music events. Sometimes we ran together. And then one day she asked the question over breakfast. There's a pink elephant in the room. There's this thing that's happening between us. What's happening? I honestly didn't know. But I just said, hey, look, you know, we're here. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with you. We're cool. Why don't we just take it one day at a time and see what it evolves into? Very noncommittal answer that I think works when you know what the hell you're talking about. I don't think it was a really good answer based on what she was asking and what she actually wanted. One day we went to a house party. And I began to notice something. They would play a lot of house music. And, you know, like I said, we're both from Chicago, so it was pretty cool. We were dancing and so on and so forth. And she said, I don't want to be right here. Let's move over here. Then we moved to this other part of the house. And she was like, I don't want to be over here. Let's move over here. And I was kind of it was it was kind of off putting because I felt like she was telling me what to do. She was telling me what to do. And then the more we talked, she said, well, you sound flat. And then that kind of, I, you know, I made a mental note of it, but I just kept it moving. And I actually did, uh, just tried to put it out of my head. But you know how it goes. Once something happens, once something is planted in your head, once you start to recognize something, it's kind of hard to not continue to recognize it, especially if it persists. When we get together, I'd say hello. And she's like, why is your hello so flat? I need say hello with more enthusiasm. And I was like, more enthusiasm? What are you talking about? Like, I'm... I'm I'm not happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't looking for her to make me happy. What I'm saying is that I'm not happy. Ask me more questions about me. I matter. I'm important. Ask me more questions about me. When I hugged her, my hugs were lifeless because I was flat. I was flat. There wasn't much inside of me to give because so much had been taken. So much had been given out and so much had been taken. I need you to hug me with more, hug me better. Hug me more. Hug me better. Like give me, give me more of a hug when you see me. In my head, I was like, "What is happening right now?" But again, I went along with it because I was getting affection and attention. And I don't know if it was something that I necessarily wanted, but I went along with it because, I mean, that's what I did. I went along. I got along. I went along. There was so very little me in much of any of the things that I used to do back in the day. I just went along and got along. Pardon the interruption, but I want to take a second of your time to let you know that I'm now on Patreon.com. Over there, you'll be able to access exclusive content created by me for you that you won't find here on the podcast nor anywhere else on social media. Check me out at Patreon.com slash Dating After Divorce to learn more. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash dating after divorce and be sure to follow me on instagram at eric l Payne, one word for info about upcoming shows and other behind the scenes stuff now back to the episode i wound up sharing my experiences with a really good friend someone who had warned me against dating too soon in the first place 
And she said, Eric, you better get out of there, man. You better get out of there and you better let that girl know you better set her free. You better set her free and let her be with somebody that actually really wants to be with her. I was like, what are you talking about? Girl, you must be crazy. That woman likes you way more than you like her and you are doing her a disservice by spending any more time than necessary with her, except on a friend's level. And if she can't handle being a friend, then y'all need to part ways, period. And I said, well, I mean, how do I do that? She said... You got to let her know and let her go. And I said, well, I will not do that. I mean, I just got broken up with myself. I don't have the heart to do that. I'm not. And then I had to think about it. Truth be told, I had never broken up with anybody. I was that dude based on how I felt about myself. There were some self-esteem issues that existed for me back in the day. I was that dude that liked people because they liked me. My ex-wife, ultimately, she picked me. I didn't see her. She saw me. I was that dude that liked people that liked me. I didn't do much choosing back in the day. I didn't do much choosing pre-divorce and immediately post-divorce. So the idea of breaking up with someone was ludicrous, if not, and also it was petrifying because that requires you to confront somebody. And it requires you to, you know, run the risk of hurting them and two, being hurt in the process because they lash out against you because of their hurt. So I didn't do anything. And I was at her house one day. Chilling as we had gotten in the habit of doing in the evenings. And it was getting later and later and later and later. And she wasn't asking me to leave. And I wasn't necessarily trying to leave. And we were kind of lounging on each other on the couch and it was we were getting closer and closer and closer. Like something straight out of Boomerang. <laughs> Eddie Mur the Eddie Murphy Halle Berry scene. And we began to kiss. And quickly one thing led to another. Clothes started coming off, never even made it out of the living room. And things began to happen. It was not good. I mean, first of all, the couch was too small. Second of all, her back was hurting. Her leg was hurting. Put your leg here. Put your hand there. Move this here. Ooh, this hurts. Stop. Put this here. Do this there. Put your leg over here. Move my arm. Raise your right hand. Now, put your leg back down over here. Put it up over here on top of the back of the couch. Now, move this here. Move my back. Push me here. Touch me there. I was like, what, what, what exactly what? is going on right now? What is happening? why are you talking so much what is happening what when it was over she finished and i didn't and didn't really even seem that concerned that i didn't finish i sat there shell-shocked honestly like i gotta get out of here i gotta get out of here eyes were wide and dark <laughs> i was like i gotta get out of here i gotta get out of here i gotta get out of here i don't want to be here anymore I want to go home to my one-bedroom apartment with my air mattress. I'm 43 years old, and if this is what being single looks like, I don't want this. I don't want this at all. I honestly don't remember how that night ended. I don't. I don't remember how I got out of the house, but I did get out of the house. And I thought about what my friend said to me. My friend said, you need to shut it down before it gets out of control. You need to shut it down before you hurt her. There was nothing there. I didn't feel anything. And, I, and what I felt, honestly, was taken from. This doesn't even sound like a man. Like, who cares? Like, a guy don't care about that kind of stuff. 
I care quite a bit about that kind of stuff. And there's probably plenty of men who feel the same way. And hopefully we get to a point in 2019, 2020 and beyond where men are transparent about how they feel and what their needs are emotionally, sexually and otherwise. So the next day she reached out, talked about what a great time she had, talked about how she she was just kind of in a daze, but a good daze. <sighs> I didn't really have nothing to say. I just, I was like, that's cool. Like, great. You know, good for you. And I knew then that we were done. So the, the next step was getting out, trying to figure out how to get out. My birthday came. She invited me over for dinner. <laughs> she was experimenting with her a plant-based diet and raw foods and all natural foods. And I remember having dinner with her nice conversation but the food was flu was a little bland food was a little bland but i knew she was doing the best she could and i told her that it was great i enjoyed myself but i think she could see in my face that i did not like the food and she invited me to stay because i guess maybe she wanted a round two i didn't want a round two but she wanted a round two and she invited me upstairs and it was a scene straight out of friends the old television sitcom friends when I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, it was the episode that Rebecca Romaine was in when uh, the guy on the show, with, that was his girlfriend or, you know, uh, hopeful. And he went over her house and when he got to her house, it was nothing but disarray, litter, trash. It wasn't trash, but it was a complete disarray. Her house was in complete disarray. And she said... Oh, have a seat. And he said, where? And I literally saw the same thing. And ultimately, I said, nah, you know, I got to go do such and such with my daughter the next day. I mean, having kids is great because you can always use kids as the excuse. So I skedaddled out of there. And as time wore on, her complaints increased, her dictation, her, her, her uh, indictments of what I wasn't doing right for her increased. And my friend's words played out stronger and stronger and stronger in my head until finally I got the courage. I called her out to lunch and I broke up with her. You know, the reality was I had just come out of a bad situation and the woman that bore my children, that was the only person that I had space for to deal with complaints and negativity and so on and so forth i didn't have the bandwidth to deal with it from anybody else and i pretty much shared that with her i stumbled through the breakup i i, I stumbled through expressing myself it was hard at first i there was a lot of stuttering there was a lot of hemming and hawing there were a couple moments where things got a little tense but ultimately i expressed myself she didn't finish her food she began her eyes welled up and she said I get it I understand and I'm sorry I didn't know that you were experiencing me this way and she she welled up with tears kind of got up we were sitting outside like we always did and she got up and walked away after um, she finished eating she said look you know I'm done if you don't mind I'm, I'm gonna just go and I said yeah that's cool and I watched her go and I felt bad. I felt really bad because I know that, you know, she had meant well. And, you know, this is someone who 
had been pining after me for years. And, you know, maybe secretly I had been pining after her for years because I've known her for so long. But in the end, it just wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. The timing was wrong. The timing was off. When she walked away from that table crying, I realized I had hurt her. It wasn't about fault. It wasn't about who was right, who said what, who did what. I heard her. While she was at the table, she confessed that she shouldn't have had sex with me. But she also admitted that she hadn't had sex in a long time. And quite honestly, she wanted to have sex. And that's not something that I couldn't understand, because I hadn't had sex in a long time either. Something like three or four years. And yes, folks, that actually does happen when marriages go off the rails. But when she walked away from that table, I realized that I had done more than just hurt someone. I hurt a friend, someone I had known for years, someone I had known since I was a teenager. A relationship that had kind of blossomed and become a foothold in my life was relegated to a footnote after two months of dating. It was something that just didn't have to happen. I didn't heed the warning of my friend, the woman that told me to leave well enough alone. And in being indecisive and getting caught up in my own mess and again with the courage piece, not being strong enough, willing enough, able enough to speak on my feelings and actually have foresight as to what would hurt me, hurt her, to not protect her even though we were just dating. I didn't protect her from me. I was damaged goods. I had no business. I knew I was damaged goods. I had no business trying to embark on something. And I knew that, but I wanted what I wanted, just like she wanted what she wanted. And by purely following our wants, we both ended up with a mess. Now, many months later, we would talk about what happened and we would ultimately repair our relationship. And we're in a much better place today than we were at that point because things actually went downhill from there and she just stopped speaking to me altogether. Now, of course, I grew from it. She grew from it. You always grow. You take the lesson from the pain and the mistakes. So it was supposed to happen, but it didn't have to happen. And I promised myself moving forward, I was going to do the best I possibly could to speak on my heart and speak on my truth to avoid causing pain and experiencing pain. But more importantly, causing pain, because that is something that I can totally control. That's something that we can all totally control. The beautiful and most powerful thing that I came that, that came out of that experience, though, was that I learned how to express a want. I learned how to speak on what not, did not work for me and what I would prefer. And I also shared bad news with someone at the risk of getting hurt. And as bad as I felt that day, the next day I woke up and I was fine. So one of the things that I was when I was married was non-confrontational. That one experience set in motion my ability to begin to express myself as a grown-ass man and as a dating grown-ass man.
Thank you so much for subscribing and listening to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. The response and feedback continues to be overwhelming, and I am so, so grateful, sincerely grateful for each and every one of you. Look, thank you also for putting up with my stuffy nose. I've had a cold, a sinus infection, then caught another cold since launching the show. So thank you so much for putting up with that as well. Tune in two weeks from Friday, December 27th, 2019 for the last episode of the year and the decade of the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. Until then, season's greetings and happy holidays.